Welcome to The Waitlist. I'm Alex. I'm a student trainee psychotherapist in the UK. According to MIND, there are 1.6 million people on the waiting list for mental health treatment with the NHS. A further 8 million can't get on the list because they're not deemed unwell enough. My aim for The Waitlist podcast is to explore different ways we can support our own mental health. I'll be interviewing people with a range of perspectives on mental well-being, including psychotherapy. If something piques your interest, I'd encourage you to do your own research. I'll be sharing resources in the show notes. Now let's get started with this week's episode. This episode includes themes of bereavement, which may not be suitable for all listeners. Holly Cassidy is an integrative psychotherapist. She's a member of both the UKCP and BACP. Holly has also worked in a specialist service in the NHS and as a psychotherapist within St. Joseph's Hospice and Haringey Bereavement Service. We'll use this episode to explore different types of therapy, including what integrative, humanistic and psychodynamic mean and how they may influence how your therapist works with you. I'll also be asking Holly how therapy can support the bereavement process. Holly, welcome to The Waitlist. Hello, nice to be here. (laughs) Good to have you. So at The Waitlist, we believe that mental health can feel like a taboo topic to many and that talking about our own mental health can really kind of chip away at that taboo. So each episode, I like to ask the question, how are you mad? So Holly, how are you mad? Well, I suppose in terms of my mental health, um, I didn't experience many problems um, until more recently, actually. Um, And that came more, I mean, obviously training to be a therapist brought up a lot of stuff, a lot of stuff. Um, So there was that process. But actually, in terms of struggling with mental health, I think the pandemic really Mm. did hit me in that respect, supporting people who were struggling with their mental health. And as a therapist, not being able to really look after myself in the way that I normally would. So, you know, doing things that I love, you know, all of that disappeared. Um, And so that, you know, I did have periods where I definitely was very anxious, um, quite low, you know, and, but it was, it was really interesting because I think, although I say I hadn't experienced poor mental health up until that point. I think when I went on to do a training in therapy, I did realise how not depressed a child I was, but I wasn't happy, you know, and that's quite a big thing for a child for a child actually. Um and so I had my struggles, but I think as a child I was quite resilient with that. So um, you know, there are ups and downs. And I like to think of, I think it's useful to think of mental health as being on a kind of um, a line. So one end being brilliant, happy, in, you know, joyful, and the other end being really, really in poor mental health. And I think we are all on that spectrum mm. at different points in our lives, different things are triggered. 
and it's a bit like a bell curve. Mm -hmm. It's not um, it's not a straight line. Things don't stay stable in people's lives. And I have people who come to me at the age of 80 having never struggled with their mental health and struggling. So I, it's very rare for people to get through life without having an episode or several episodes of poor mental health. And I think that's why therapists are there because people need to call on them at different times. And mm -hmm. I think that's why it's really great that people feel more able nowadays, because if you start that journey early, then you feel like, okay, five years go by, I'm okay, something happens, maybe I'll, maybe I'll go back actually mm -hmm. and get that support again, you know? Mm -hmm. um, so it doesn't have to be a disaster or something massive that causes people to struggle a bit, wobble mm -hmm. a bit. And um, being in therapy, having the support for therapists can just be that kind of stabiliser mm -hmm. that grounds people in, a in, in whatever way. In terms of like your question on a kind of lighter way of being mad, being a bit eccentric or being a bit quirky, I think um, when I was growing up, I think my personal quirk was that I was so fascinated in other people that I would end up staring at people. T other teenagers did not like being stared at by me <laughs> and would pick a fight with me. And actually, I was just, it was just curiosity. And um, I think that's probably what made me realise that I did want to be a therapist. I just am endlessly fascinated in, in people and the way they are and why mm -hmm. they might be that way. So that is definitely my quirk. You know, yeah. that I just kind of can't stop looking or trying to listen to what, you know, conversation, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. that kind of thing. Yeah. yeah, I think that's so well said. Mm -hmm. And also the point around kind of mental well-being, mental health, not being a straight line mm -hmm. is so important mm -hmm. and it can impact any of us and many of us at yeah. any time. Yeah. We might not feel like that forever. Mm, yeah. And, you know, really kind of building up your network, whether that's through therapy mm. or through something else. You yeah. mentioned in the pandemic, kind of mm. having some of those things taken away that you love doing. Yeah. You know, that's a huge part of our mm. mental well-being as well. So thank you for that. Yeah. I think that's really important. Okay. Yeah. Um, so I mentioned in the intro that you're practicing as an integrative mm. psychotherapist. Yeah. So for those that might be listening and don't know what that means, can you share a bit of an overview of yeah. integrative psychotherapy? So within therapy, there are lots of different modalities. So they're kind of uh, theories that are grouped into different groups. And integrative um, therapy is a... It's a, a type of therapy that picks up elements from different counselling and psychotherapeutic techniques and brings them all together um, in service to the client. So um, as an integrative therapist, because I have a kind of broad base of therapies that, we, that I've studied and different techniques and different ideas around therapy that I've studied, when I come to work with somebody I draw on different parts of, of those um, techniques. For some people, um, it might be that I work more psychodynamically with them because um, there are patterns and ways of behaving that are leading them to just be not happy. And they may be something to do with how they had to adapt as a child to a certain situation that really worked for them as a child, but then is a block 
at a certain point in life that they realize that that way of being is making them really unhappy. So, um, or it might be something like um, somebody is feeling really hopeless, you know, and so we might be exploring more existential ideas around existential therapy and things like that, um, particularly in bereavement work. A lot of that comes up. So, and and there are lots and lots. I mean, I think it's an amazing modality and I'm really glad that that's what I trained in because I like being creative and it allows me to kind of be very creative, very dynamic and and it kind of is boundless. The ideas and the ways of working people are really flexible, really fluid. Um, it can it can be, you know, working existentially for a period of time and then it might be going psychodynamically because there are things from the past that have suddenly been kind of raised and like, how did that impact mm -hmm. me? So um, I think it's a really dynamic way of working. I kind of think that most therapists kind probably end up quite integrative in the end anyway, after a career of 20 years or something. Mm. You know, you may have tra trained psychodynamically, but then you do all these C CPD in different areas. You're an intricative mm -hmm. therapist. Mm -hmm. But but um, I felt feel very lucky that I started, you know, from the very start with that. Um, and I think for me, it works perfectly. Mm. You know, I mm. really love it. I think it's such a good point around, you know, so many therapists, particularly those that are, have been doing it for years mm. will kind of pick up their own mm. I guess form of integration yeah. or integrative yeah. therapy because you are required to mm. learn so much as you go yeah. and really keep up to speed with different types of therapy yeah. I remember when I was choosing my course and as you know I'm still in training it was quite daunting to think oh blimey like what what modality should I yeah. pin all of my hopes on and actually I'm I'm realizing now as I move further along into my training that that's a foundation but it's not mm. the whole story. Yeah. I want to put you on the spot a little bit. Mm. You mentioned existential and yeah. psychodynamic. Mm. Are you able to explain those kind of two terms? Like what does that what do those types yeah. of therapies involve? So psychodynamic I would describe as being um a modality that really explores the kind of deep roots of how we Behave, like the, uh, the patterns of behavior mm -hmm. I suppose so um, it is why people think therapy is talking about childhood you know it's such it's such an important and formative time our early years and and how um, our patterns of behavior are formed by the people around us um, and psychodynamic is also very much about um unconscious the unconscious and trying to kind of sometimes when I talk to my clients I talk about like a a kind of saucepan of peas on on the hob and what we're doing you know is that we're we're kind of turning the heat up a bit so we're kind of talking about people's childhoods and as they're as as they kind of delve into that the peas which are like the unconscious like in the bottom of the pan start kind of popping up mm. as we turn the heat up and and things come to mind that people really had never even thought about having really influenced the way that they behave and the struggles that they have it might be for example somebody who um had a big experience in their life like a a, a parent 
becoming very ill, you know, but very suddenly, or a big accident that really impacted them as a child. And yet they have no memories. You know, they can't remember. Or I remember going to hospital and seeing my dad for the first time after his accident, but I can't remember anything else other than that. And as we explore that, the truth of that experience is held within us because we were there. We were, you know, it's in in us somewhere. Mm-hmm. Little, um, little peas on the surface. Yeah, exactly. Mm. And those start bubbling up and people start being able to picture, have a real picture of what maybe was happening for them at that time and how it changed them, you know, forever. You know, um, if somebody has a shock like that, life is never the same again because it can change overnight, you know. And that's where the existential comes in, for example. So, you know, not only has, you know, that been a really formative experience and maybe changed them and felt very anxious about their parent going out or about other people in close to them being out in the world, what might happen. But existentially, we realise that life can just be taken away or changed in one moment. And that is a massive thing for people to come to terms with. And of course, the biggest moment in somebody's life where they have to come to terms with that is losing someone dear to them or losing something, you know, that makes them realise that everyone um, is kind of walking on a bit of a tightrope and anything can happen at any time. And it makes people feel very unsteady. Mm. Um, And so I think that's the existential thing is kind of the realisation that we, you know, uh, my supervisor in my bereavement placement used to always say, you know, we kind of always get to the point where he would say, there before the grace of God go I. Because when you're faced with somebody who's had such a a life-changing experience, you just walk out thinking, my God, you know, like anything could happen at any moment. And it's just down to luck, you know. Uh, there is no armour. We can't put any armour on in the world to stop that something from happening like that. So existential is really interesting, I think, because Mm -hmm. it's always there for all of us, but not people usually think about it when something happens and somebody's gone, you know, that they really loved. Um, And that could be, you know, um, a parent or it could be a child. Um, And so that's what my bereavement work was all about really quite often. Thank you for sharing that. Mm. Lots of powerful images in there. Mm. So it sounds like from an integrative perspective, there can be an element of psychodynamic and certainly Mm. in your practice, Mm. existential within your practice. If somebody listening might be kind of in a research phase for Mm. different therapists and they see the word integrative, what other things might they expect um, within that? I think within integrative, there might be something about um, exploring. um, It really depends on the client, but it might be quite a lot of people come to therapy because um, they realize that the way that they're behaving in relationships, that might be, you know, romantic relationships, it might be other relationships, isn't working for them. Something's getting in the way or something's really upsetting that. and so that might, you know, that might include um, looking at, at that through the lens of something like attachment theory, which is very much about, you know, what um, 
an early life, you know, early kind of um, relationships, exper experiences were like with caregivers and things like that. Um, God, there's there are so many. It might be working with the body, mm -hmm. you know. Um, there are lots of very, uh, the body can be a real source of knowledge for people mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, that can really be tapped. There's also the humanistic side, which is within integrative that is very much about um, acknowledging that everybody is kind of, we're all some somewhere in us. We're kind of geared to be the people that we want to be, but there can be things that block our way, mm -hmm. you know? And so the therapist's role, I think, in that respect is kind of supporting somebody to be able to kind of get a different perspective on their life and kind of zoom out a bit. Mm and be able to see things from different angles. Um, and the therapist can offer that, that perspective. And sometimes the client can kind of suddenly see their life with a bit more perspective mm. and having that space open up for people. And in that respect, as a, as a humanistic therapist, I really um, think a lot about compassion and empathy and um, unconditional positive regard and just kind of really um, being a person in in that in my client's life that feels like they are offering something a kind of um, safe place where somebody really feels seen mm -hmm. and really feels mm -hmm. heard um, and that is, can be everything to somebody mm. because sometimes people have gone through their whole life without those feelings of like being held in very steady, safe place mm -hmm. and being held very safely and securely kind of week on week, you know, uh, can really allow somebody to um, kind of flower, you know, like mm -hmm. kind of like blossom something within them mm -hmm. that might not have felt possible before. Um, so that is a, a great position to be in to be able to offer that to people I think absolutely yeah. thank you for that that's really mm. helpful Holly I'd love to understand um if you're able to share mm. kind of what brought you to um become mm. a psychotherapist what's yeah. your journey it's interesting because I it was uh one of the things that I always wanted to do um and always felt kind of out of my reach um but I, I grew up with um, one of my mum's best friends was a child psychologist. And she was very, uh, you know, we spent a lot of time with her and she didn't ever talk about her work. And she didn't ever, I remember her helping me with my French once, but she didn't ever kind of like relate to me in that way. But she was a, a strong presence. And still is very much a strong presence in my life. And then when I um, was a teenager, my best friend's mum was a psychoanalyst. And again, she didn't talk a lot about her work, but they were two kind of, you know, two influential people that were around. Um, and I just always had it in my head that that's what I wanted to do. And I still don't really know how I knew that. But I think this sense of curiosity about other people was always there and a sense that I think my childhood wasn't 
that easy. And I think I wanted, I had, I wanted to know more. I wanted to delve into that. And I, for some, I mean, I didn't have a lot of therapy before training as a therapist. So that exploration happened really on the course in my personal therapy and while, while I was training. It's a very experiential training. So I really delved into all of that on my training and I found out so much about myself um, that I felt was so valuable, you know, and yeah, I remember very naively saying to my best friend before I trained, probably a few years before I trained, I want to be a, a therapist because I'm really happy and I want other people to be really happy. And it's like, wow, that was so naive. It's unbelievable, you know. So I, I didn't get that right, but I knew that I wanted to do it. And I, you know, I have, I am in a profession that I love. So somewhere, somewhere there was that knowledge that it would work for me, you know. You work a lot with bereavement. Mm. And I wanted to understand maybe for people that are going through a bereavement at the moment mm. or potentially there's been a bereavement previously that they haven't had an opportunity or yeah. made a decision to explore yet. Are you able to share what people come to you with mm -hmm. and how, and I appreciate this might change from ther mm. therapist to therapist, but how you would work with someone through a bereavement process and yeah. even if it is a process? Mm. Yeah, I think it is a process. Um, it obviously varies from client to client. The bereavement might be ver a very long time ago and that would look very different to a more recent bereavement. Um, I think when people are bereaved, it's really, really valuable for them to have a space where they can talk very personally about that bereavement because often the people, the people that people talk to when they're bereaved have their own relationship with the person that was lost. And so the bereaved person um, may feel like they have to be a certain way or say certain things or, you know, and, and actually having a space talking to somebody who had no relationship with that person, then they can really explore what the loss means to them. Um, and it's people tend to move on quite quickly in life. Um, and of course, for the bereaved person, it can, life never moves on in the same way. You know, it looks very different. The world may look very different. Um, and so it offers somebody to have an opportunity to have somebody who will stay the course with them. And the bereaved person gets to choose when they feel ready or when they feel that they are at a place where they can, life can kind of start, start not start again, but kind of that they can get on, like cope with life, I mm. suppose is the way. And turn a page, I, I'm yeah. imagining in yeah. my mind. Yeah. One of, uh, one of the, my clients um, brought to me anal an analogy, which I think is really useful. If somebody loses somebody that's very, very important to them, often it feels like that. If you imagine the 
the bereaved person, the person who they've lost is kind of standing in front of them. All they can see is, is that lost person. They can't move forward because that person is there with them all the time and the loss of that person is there in every moment. And as the process of grief goes on, that person shifts, you know, and slowly they might, it, that person may move to the side so that some, the bereaved person can see some of, some of the way forward. And it's a really, really slow process. But I suppose the, the, the final stage in that process, um, one way of seeing it is that they have internalized that person so that they've, they, can, they can kind of carry on with life with that person within them, you know. Um, so still very much part of their life, but they're not standing in front. Um, and I thought that was a really, you know, really great way of explaining what that might look like. Um, often also people um, may not have really told the story to anyone, you know, um, and the story can, you know, the story of either a pro prolonged illness or a sudden death or somebody, you know, um, you know, experiencing someone die with, you know, in their, um, you know, like in front of them sometimes, you know, um, may have had to try to resuscitate someone, you know, like all of these things are enormous things to go through. And of course, some people might feel like quite guilty about putting a loved one through that story, you know, particularly if they were close to them. Uh, and there are lots of kind of experiences that people have that they don't tell anyone about. And it just gives an opportunity to tell that story. And, and it may be telling that story over and over again. Um, and it may be just the once and being really heard in that moment. Um, and talking about the funeral, talking about um, what life looks like without that person, talking about how do I, how do I carry on, you know, how, how am I going to feel that life is, is worth living without a person? So all of these things can be impossible for people to imagine. Um, and so it's, it's a, there are very big feelings. And I think when there are very big feelings, people around you know, people around people that are bereaved and have, are having big feelings about it feel quite scared to talk and feel like it's really difficult to support them. And um, I think that a therapist can be a really great support to people because, you know, our job is really to hear whatever needs to be said and, and really listen and really engage and really... Um, I mean, I, I often get such a a perfect picture of what it must be like for that person because the space is all about what it's like for them. Um, and so I've always really loved my bereavement work and I think it's at times been the most challenging work that I've done. It can be really confronting, you know, thinking about um, how um, untimely death can come and how unfair um, it can feel some of the experiences that people have are really unfair. Nobody should have to 
go through them. Um, and yet, you know, really awful things happen in life. Um, and I think it's really important to acknowledge that. Um, so it's when I first started bereavement work, it was um, very early um, on uh, in my work as a therapist. And um, it sometimes took a lot. But these days, um, it's not normalized at all. But I I've found the kind of resources that I need, mm, you know. And what works for you yeah. to. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. That was such a powerful image mm. of the person right mm. in front of you and, and working with a therapist like you to work with that mm. image in front of you and internalize. Mm. I would also imagine that bereavement can be complex. Mm especially not especially but sometimes we forget that if we aren't that close to people that we lose yeah. or maybe the relationship is more complicated mm. than we would like i would imagine there's also an image where that person isn't right in front of you all of the yeah. time yeah and mm. that throws up mm. other things that yeah. can be really challenging it's complicated yeah. yeah yeah and and sometimes um people publicly may have to relate to that person and say things about that person that they really don't feel to be the truth um and you know i suppose the the hope is that in therapy people are able to really tell the truth about what their feelings are about you know a bereavement um there may be a sense of relief that somebody's died you know and that may be about things that are really deep rooted and really you know um troubling and so i'm really important to acknowledge that relief actually um so there's a whole host of the ways that people feel when somebody close to them dies and i think the more complicated the relationship there was that that there was with that person the more complicated the process of mm. grief is mm. you know um and so actually it can be very, very difficult, you know, to to work out how somebody feels, mm. you know. Um, and I guess the space that you were talking about before for, you know, this might be the first time that mm. someone has had an opportunity to tell that story. Yeah. Regardless of how they may be in relation to that mm person or where they are in the bereavement process yeah that space and that opportunity to tell the story whatever the story is yeah. Yeah. can be so important mm. for people yeah absolutely yeah it is part of being able to make sense of something and i think therapy is broadly that really helping people to make sense of difficult experiences difficult feelings um difficult thoughts and unpacking that and trying to kind of make sense of something with with the help of someone you know um who is trained in making sense of things and who has had their own process of trying to make sense of things you know um clients um i think the amazing thing about being a therapist is that we have you know, we're drawing on our own experiences 
all the time, really. We're not bringing them in directly, you know, but we we know what the struggles are. Mm, you know, we've mm. grappled with things. Um, and so I think clients can feel kind of like that sense that, you know, uh, it isn't like a kind of um, doctor-patient relationship where, you know, the patient is coming with symptoms and the doctors, you know, you imagine the doctors never experience this. It's like, no, we're in this together mm, mm. and we all, we, we all struggle with stuff, you know, and this happens to be your struggle and I'm going to help you. Yeah, you know. absolutely. Yeah. I love the way you phrased, um, I don't think you used the word expert, mm. but being someone that's trained in making sense of mm. things, I mm. think was what you said. Yeah. And I would imagine for clients coming to you or other, um, other psychotherapists, many people will feel like there's something going on which I don't fully understand. Yeah. Mm. And working with someone who's mm. trained in making mm. sense of things mm. Yeah. How powerful is that yeah. partnership mm. um, and being in it together to figure it out? Yeah. And some people don't know how they feel, mm. you know. Um, and if somebody comes and they don't know how they feel, then that's bewildering. Um, and it's, you know, it's kind of, um, you're kind of in the murky gray area and you're kind of, it's a bit like I sometimes say you're kind of, in a dark room and you're just you could kind of make out that there's the edges there's, of the yeah, light of something or, mm -hmm. yeah and you can feel something but you don't know what it is and it's kind of slowly being able to think oh oh no that is that's a chair you know i you know in terms of emotions oh no is it sadness maybe mm, i don't know like maybe a bit of sadness but actually actually i think i feel really angry or you know we're not, some people really aren't um, used to exploring emotions at all, you know, uh, very pragmatic, very kind of in their heads. Mm -hmm. And that's part of the way that they've coped with life. Mm -hmm. And then it gets to a point where they're like, God, I, I just, I need to acknowledge, mm. you know, that I'm not feeling great. And how am I feeling? Yeah. You know? Yeah. I'm coming back to your pee analogy now, yeah. which is, you know, we spoke at the beginning around those peas kind of at the bottom mm. of the pan mm. before the boil yeah. can be experiences. Mm. But it sounds like, and the image that I'm getting in my mind, those peas at the bottom of the pan can also be emotions that we haven't fully yeah. explored mm. and actually bringing them to the surface and yeah. having a look, yeah. shining a light in that dark yeah. room can be really freeing mm. for some Absolutely, people. Absolutely, because for some people, anger isn't allowed. They weren't allowed to be angry, um, particularly if their parents were quite powerful. You know, they, they got to be angry. The child might not, might not have ever got to be angry. Or, you know, even, even you know, people have really um, strong opinions about feelings. You know, anger's destructive, it's violent, it's rageful. You know, so it's like, that's really interesting that you feel that way about anger. And we all feel really differently about different emotions what's you know why why do you think anger's destructive or some people even think that you know um happiness and joy can be bad you know sh you shouldn't express that you know um and so all of that is really interesting because i think that we inhibit feelings if we 
if we feel like they're things that shouldn't, they shouldn't exist. And we think that we can get on with life without feeling angry and without displaying anger because that's ugly and that's, you know, it's, it's um, destructive. And, and actually, it's really important that people work out a way to express their anger because there's no way it's not going to kind of suddenly burst out you know, a um, bit like a kind of pot on the board, you know, like a pressure cooker. If you don't let, let off the steam, it's going to blow up. And that does, then things do get destructive, actually, you know. So being able to work out a way of like expressing anger little and often every time you feel it is much less destructive than thinking that you can contain it and contain it and containing and then suddenly you feel you know you are feeling really rageful and that can be disruptive um and so it's people i think people have an idea that um if you push it down it will go away and it just doesn't go away sadly It'd be great if it did if we could do that but it just has a way of showing itself and so um yeah, just talking about feelings and and each one. What's what's good? What's bad? What's you know? I feel I feel sad all the time, but I never feel angry. That's really interesting. Why do you think that is? You know, just those really kind of just talking about it again. These aren't conversations that you're really going to have with your friend. You know, down the pub or you know. Um, you just not, it just doesn't, it's not the kind of thing that we talk about. Um, and yet those conversations can be really interesting, you know. We've spoken a little bit about bereavement and mm. therapy. Mm. And I'm wondering if anybody's listening to this that may be thinking about exploring their own bereavement yeah. process. Are there resources out there? Are there things that people should be looking for yeah. if they're looking for a, for a therapist to support them in that? I think bereavement is unique, actually, in some ways, um, or or at least it used to be, and maybe things are changing now. But bereavement is one of the areas where there are there seem there, there tends to be more on offer um, in terms of bereavement services that can offer people therapy. If a if a relative have has died in a hospice for example bereavement therapy is almost always offered to people um and that might take place in the place where that person um died which can be a process in itself going back to that place and that can all be explored um there are um charities bereavement charity you know charities that deal with bereavement and that offer um cruises one of them um I worked um, for Haringey Bereavement Service. Um, so, and GPs may have resources. There's lot, you know, if you search bereavement um, therapy online, you might find cha local charities nearby that offer that. Um, so I think actually in terms of finding support that it, it might be time limited, often it's time limited, but support that's that's free um, by people that are really trained and, and know that area very well can be, you know, easier than other types mm -hmm. of support. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And we can put some of those links in the show notes yeah, to Cruise yeah. and, mm. and other resources as well. Yeah. You mentioned um, the phrase time limited. Yeah. yeah. 
and I'm sure there's no one answer to this. Mm. I'm saying it with a smile. Yeah. How long mm -hmm. can people expect to explore their own bereavement process mm. yeah. with a therapist? If mm. they're thinking, God, I don't know if I can do this. How long is yeah. it going to take? Yeah. What would you say to that? So when people come to therapy, some people really just want it to be open-ended and it can be. And some people, you know, for various reasons, feel like they um, can only, you know, manage financially a certain amount of sessions or in terms of time, they only want to give it a certain amount of time. I, you know, I think that great strides can be made actually in time-limited therapy. I think the important thing for uh, people to think about is is actually making that very clear from the start because if that's known from the start then an ending can be worked towards and um, if the therapist knows that there are going to be a certain amount of sessions then they can really work with the client in terms of what what's most important to be explored because of course you know, it can't be kind of delving into historical things necessarily as much. It might be more about the just the event itself and that particular relationship. I think that people often feel um, uh, that longer term therapy is is the it's kind of given more importance and kind of give, seen as more effective sometimes. And I, I don't actually think that that's the case. I think that particularly for things like bereavement that are very kind of, kind of contained, you know, in their nature, um, you're exploring one relationship, one loss often, actually time-limited therapy. So something between, you know, six and 12 sessions or something, you can make really good progress um and i know that because the service that i worked in was generally 12 sessions and people made incredible progress and felt very differently about the bereavement at the end of those 12 sessions than when they originally came in um and you know sometimes um people have as mentioning earlier people have never had the experience of just being listened to um and so that being such a unique experience is very powerful, you know. Um, somebody said I was on a time, I was helping deliver a time limited therapy um, course, actually, as part of a training. And somebody said, um, you know, people fall in, they talk about falling in love as a kind of instantaneous thing. And how powerful is that experience? So, in terms of therapy, you know, like 12 weeks of something really unique and really kind of tailored to the person and their needs, that can be really powerful. You know, things can, big things can happen in moments. You know, they can happen in minutes. Uh, it doesn't have to be years. And of course, some people need it to be years and that's fine too. But I don't think that um, we sh anyone should be prejudiced for or against either because I think it's all about the person and what they need you know yeah absolutely yeah. absolutely and i remember in my own experience of therapy you know obviously i'm in therapy now mm. as a as a student trainee but many years ago when i was in therapy before training it was kind of baffling to me um the time 
expected and mm. and I I felt like I was getting different answers from different people mm. or kind of no answers at all it was all yeah. a bit of a kind of mystery and yeah. you go up and smoke yeah. and that's it so um it's really interesting to hear that perspective mm. you mentioned the kind of power behind a moment mm. like falling in love or mm. whatever and I know that's not what you're saying yeah. falling in love with your therapist no, no. but yeah. it brought to me kind of how important it is to find the therapist that works for you yeah yeah can you share a little bit around mm. if somebody's looking for a yeah. therapist how you see that yeah yeah I think that uh you know and it's backed up by research that it really is the relationship in terms of therapy that is the healing, the healing part of therapy. And so when people come to me for an initial session, and I may not be the only person that they're coming to see for initial sessions, they may be seeing other therapists, or it may be just me, you know, depending on their search. But um, I often say to them, this really is, you know, the initial session is about me getting an understanding of what you might be bringing but it is really important for clients, uh, you know, to see that initial session as a kind of really gaining a, a sense of whether the safe the space feels safe mm. and contained, and whether they feel they can relate to the other person. And that isn't uh, necessarily about what the other person even might be saying or doing. It's just a sense that we get inside whether this feels right. Um, and I think it, you know, because the relationship is so important, um, all of that knowledge needs to be tapped into. And if people don't feel that it's right, then the therapy will feel harder, you know, and therapy isn't an easy process, actually. Um, so in order to make the process feel just a bit more doable, having somebody that you feel really comfortable with and really safe with is really important, actually. And so I encourage my clients at the end of the session to not make a decision on the spot, you know, to go away, have a couple of days, think about how they feel, about um, how, how it felt to be talking to me and, and make that decision afterwards. So I think... Um, you know, when people are scrolling through all the therapists, you know, um, it's it might be about, you know, distance. It might be about modality, you know, that they're drawn to certain modalities. That's all part of it. And it also might be, how does it feel in the room? Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. do I want to come here every week or will I be dragging myself to that place every week? Do I think that they get me or do I feel like that they're not? They don't really, there's something they don't quite understand. And we, you know, we, as people, we, we do know that, you know, mm -hmm. about, you know, other people. We, most people know exactly how they feel about other people when they meet them, you know. So it doesn't take long to really make up your mind. But it's important to listen to that, you know, mm. and not just kind of override it and think, no, 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 I, you know, it's convenient. They've got the right, the space, they've got the time. I can afford that person. You know, if it doesn't feel right, just, you know, listen to that really. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. This comes up quite a bit on this podcast mm. yeah. and I've shared various analogies. Yeah. We've gone into 
dating, hairdressing, the gamut. But what's coming up for me now when you talk about the feeling Mm. is when you look to kind of rent a house, buy a house or, Mm. you know, find a space for a party or whatever, you can look at things Mm. online or it might be booking a restaurant and think, oh, this feels really special or looks really special. And when you get there, something Mm. else is happening that isn't what you expected or doesn't feel quite right. Equally, you might get there and think, absolutely, this is is it. Mm. And listening to that Mm. kind of feeling, we're Mm. talking about getting in touch with our feelings earlier can be so important to tune into. Mm. And I guess the other thing that I want to say, which I have said before on other episodes, but for those that might not have heard those, is don't underestimate the therapist if you say, actually, I'm going to find someone else. Yeah, You know, mm. as therapists, you are incredibly prepared yeah. for that conversation. Mm. And the chances are, I'm taking a bit of a leap here, the chances are is that the therapist feels it as well. Mm. Yeah, um so yeah. don't be afraid mm. to have that conversation and say yeah. I'm not sh- I'm not quite sure. Yeah. I think therapy is is often having the courage to say something that you wouldn't normally say and as you say therapists are trained to kind of you know just I mean really we're 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 working in service of the client and if a client says to me actually I I don't feel quite co- comfortable enough to share this with you then they're right. You know, Hmm. if they're feeling uncomfortable, they're feeling uncomfortable. There's nothing that I can say or do to change that, Mm -hmm. you know. Mm -hmm. And actually, um, that might be the first time that a client has acknowledged their discomfort. And that might be really important, you know, that they're actually listening to that for the first time. So, um, and often people... um, will leave a message on my answer phone Um, or or they might want a conversation rather than an initial session. And I don't generally speaking do that because um, if they talk to me on the phone and they make a decision based on that without sitting with me, then they're kind of making a decision based on something that is not what will be happening. We won't be talking on the phone, we'll be sitting in front of each other, in each other's, you know, company. Um, and and that may feel really different, you know. So um, I encourage people to come for initial session and see how it feels, you know, because that's what we're dealing with, you know, mm-hmm, in the work. Mm-hmm. Um, it isn't often about our head and our mind and what what our mind is telling us it's something a bit deeper mm, than that actually absolutely yeah we spoke earlier around um in terms of bereavement you were talking about having the opportunity to share that story and how as with any therapy mm. it's not the same as having a conversation with your friends even if that's a really trusted friend that you mm. feel like you can share everything with yeah i'm also aware that when people close to us are going through a bereavement. Mm. It can be really difficult to find the words mm. to say and feel like, you know, maybe we're not aiming to get it right, but we don't want to get it wrong. Yeah. Based on your experience, is there anything that you can share in terms of how you can support people, not as a professional, yeah. but just in, in, mm. our, in our daily lives as mm. good friends and good yeah. colleagues? Yeah, I think um, showing up, Mm-hmm. kind of time and time again 
over a long period of time. And we can often feel like we're imposing on, in on something, you know. Um, and generally speaking, I think bereavement can feel very isolating. Um, and so somebody in response to that feeling like they don't want to impose, actually somebody, they, somebody who's feeling isolated in an experience, actually just having that presence mm -hmm. is, can, mm -hmm. you know, be really important. Um, I think that um, people feel really scared about saying the wrong thing and often there isn't a right thing to say. Um, but I think that um, sitting in a room with someone and being willing to just kind of be there with them in whatever they are experiencing um, shows a lot. And not doing that thing of um, leaving a present on the doorstep or leaving a, you know, kind of giving the card and maybe knocking on the door and saying, you know, how are things today, you know. Um, not making a cake, but kind of taking it round and saying, you know, mm -hmm. I've, made, I've made some banana bread, let's have a cup of tea together. Mm -hmm. And just leaving that space a bit more open to whatever the person wants to fill it with. Mm. But I think showing up over a long period of time is really important because um, for the person bereaved, time really does stand still for a, a very, very long time. And that, you know, some of the people that I worked with, their life will not move on ever again, possibly, you know. So, and then we're not talking about a year, we're talking about decades, you know, and remaining kind of a person where that invitation to talk about the person that has been lost um, is kind of remains there that, you know, inquiring about, you know, how are things, you know, um, today? I know that remembering special day, you know, certain mm. days, um, being there at certain times of the year, you know, when people's presence are often, you know, that their loss in terms of a presence, you know, is felt much more like, you know, certain anniversaries or birthdays or Christmas and, mm -hmm. and just kind of really making a mental note to check in with that person on that particular day. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, yeah, and just staying with, staying with that loss. Of course, your life as a friend will move on, but just acknowledging that that might not happen for a very long time, mm -hmm. if mm -hmm. if ever in the same way ever again. People are people are changed forever by bereavement mm -hmm. sometimes, mm -hmm. and um, I think part of a kind of grown up friendship. Um, you know, as time goes on, friendship means something very different. Um, and when we're young, friendship is about the good times, and you know, often only about the good times, and that's great. And as time goes on, a more adult friendship is it just in you know, it's everything. It's the mm -hmm. good, the bad, the ugly. It's everything. And that friendship may be um, sometimes 
only about bad stuff for a very long time, engaging mm-hmm. with the really sad stuff for mm-hmm. a very long time. And I guess getting comfortable and sitting in that space mm. without feeling like there's a right way or a wrong way or yeah. something's, or we've spoken about that now, that's done, or, yeah. you know, and just yeah. sitting in that discomfort mm. perhaps yeah. with, with somebody can be helpful. Yeah. I want to move on to our final question, mm. which is based on based on your experience in mm. your training and, and in your life yeah. as well, what's the one thing that you've learned about mental health that you didn't know before mm. but you'd like to share with others now? I think the one thing that I probably didn't realise was that um, it's a really long, um, it can be a really, really long process, actually. Um, getting to know oneself and um, by that, I mean the truth of oneself, um, who we really are, um, and being okay with that and really knowing that deeply within um, is a really important and amazing process. And it can take a really, really, really long time. And I think I didn't ever imagine how long it could take. Um, I've been in therapy now for, um, probably about seven or eight years, maybe a bit longer. And it's not anymore that, you know, there, there are things, it's, it changes and it's not that I, you know, I, as part of my training, I had to be in therapy and then afterwards for a certain amount of time as a newly qualified therapist, I needed to be in therapy and I don't any longer need to be in therapy. Um, and yet there's something so compelling and so supportive that, um, that I don't want to stop. And, you know, I'm a work in progress, just like any of my clients. Um, you know, so And there's always something to say and there's always something to explore. And there's, you know, coming to terms with something really big um, can take forever. You know, it really can take forever. I find myself treading the same ground again and again and trying to get, trying to come to terms with that. And it takes forever for me, Mm. you know. Mm. And so it's long and it's arduous. And it can feel like nothing changes for a long time. It's very, um, it's, uh, it's glacial. The change is glacial, you know, it's not overnight. People, if people expect things to change overnight, they're expecting far too much of themselves. Absolutely. You know? Yeah. And And accepting that we are all a work in progress yeah. and as we mm. grow and evolve yeah. we get different perspectives and that yeah. might not be the final perspective that no. might change again yeah. as we see it differently yeah 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 that's right thank you so much for joining me yeah. this has been such a it's great really conversation enjoyable. i yeah. really appreciate it thanks <laughs>